Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIB, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. Seattle's KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites except for Spotify, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com, with another scintillating hour of legitimate political discourse <laughs> that we call the Bradcast. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us. I, uh, I am very eager to speak to our guest today momentarily, Desi Doyen. Yes, I know. Uh, it's someone who we, we spoke to almost three years ago exactly on this program as uh, Trump's Department of Homeland Security and Customs and Border Patrol were breaking locks at the National Butterfly Center in far south Texas on the border of the Rio Grande uh, in order to roll their heavy machinery through the Butterfly Center to build Trump's wall despite the center's opposition, which included at the time a lawsuit down in your old home state of Texas, Desi Doyen. A lot of action going on down there of yeah. late. And, and while you would uh, while you would think that the nightmares for the Butterfly Center might have ended with Trump's mercifully being tossed out of office uh, uh, over a year ago now, uh, they actually haven't ended those nightmares as the center announced this week that violent threats and more from Trump's MAGA mob has now forced the National Butterfly Center, for God's sake, to close their doors to the public, at least for now. We'll speak once again today, three years later, with the executive director of the nonprofit, nonpartisan National Butterfly Center. Underscore Butterfly Center. We'll speak with the executive director there, Mariana Trevino Wright, to try and wrap our brains around the ongoing madness down there in Mission, Texas, which has now put her and her employees and her family at threat of very serious danger. 
uh, and led to her meeting with the FBI about all of it just last night, as I understand it. We'll talk to her about that as well. She is delightful, and her and the Butterfly Center, frankly, deserve much better than to have to deal with these continuing nightmares. So I hope you will stay tuned for that. But speaking of the uh, danger of crazy, violent, threatening, lying Republicans... A a quick follow-up here today on a story that we discussed last week with John Boniface, the president and co-founder of the also nonpartisan, nonprofit good government group, freespeechforpeople.org. The uh, constitutional law experts and attorneys at FSFP, uh, if you heard the show, uh, you'll know that they launched a campaign called 14.3.org, which cites the U.S. Constitution's 14th Amendment, Section 3, which bans the eligibility for federal office like Congress or the presidency for those who have having previously sworn an oath to defend the Constitution as federal officers, then go on to participate in insurrection or rebellion against the same. Uh, It was a post-Civil War amendment initially intended to bar Confederate rebels who had previously served in the army or in Congress, and then they rebel against the federal government. Well, they're not allowed to be used. They're not allowed to run for federal office. Uh, Now, it's obviously a very old amendment. It hasn't been used a whole lot since then, but Free Speech for People is working with voters in North Carolina to challenge the candidacy of, of Republican Congressman Madison Cawthorn, as we discussed with Bonifaz last week, uh, based on evidence that Cawthorn, along with a number of other members of Congress from the MAGA caucus, uh, worked with the organizers of the January 6th rally that turned deadly, Uh, into that violent insurrection on the U.S. Capitol that day. In North Carolina, the way it works, if a challenge is filed to a candidate's eligibility for office with the State Board of of Elections, it is then up to the candidate to prove that the challenge is wrong. And that, you know, if they say he doesn't, uh, he's not a resident of the state, well, he's got to prove that he is a resident of the state. And that includes both uh, state requirements for office and U.S. constitutional requirements for office, as uh, Free Speech for People has argued. In response, rather than simply proving that he's not an insurrectionist, Cawthorn filed a lawsuit in federal court to try and block that challenge at the State Board of Elections. And while the candidate approval process right now is on hold because the state Supreme Court there has put the primary elections on hold for the moment, thanks to the GOP legislature's unlawfully gerrymandered U.S. House maps. Even while that challenges to candidacies are on hold, Cawthorn's federal lawsuit charging that the state board of election does not have the power to determine who is qualified or not for the ballot, that federal suit filed last week is moving forward anyway. All right, got it? That's where CNN jumped in late last night with this update to that story. The North Carolina State Board of Elections said on Monday that it has the power to block Rep. Madison Cawthorn from running for re-election over his role in the January 6th insurrection, which CNN describes as an open legal question at the center of 
liberal-backed efforts to disqualify him from future office. Liberal-backed efforts? Yes. It's now, a nonprofit good government group. Well, I want to jump in here to note that because CNN... And it's, it's brought by voters. It's a very short, short story. They use this reference to liberal three times in about a five-paragraph story. Now, for the record, John Boniface, the co-founder and, and, and head of Free Speech for People... Uh, as he and I have discussed on this show over the years, he backed the impeachment of Bill Clinton back way back when. He also called for the impeachment of George W. Bush. He backed the two impeachments of Trump. But the repeated claim that this is some sort of liberal effort by one of the most actually, frankly, literally conservative constitutional lawyers citing the actual originalist, textualist reading of the U.S. Constitution itself, well, to call him a liberal, it's a bit difficult to stomach. But anyway, this uh, story is, is good news nonetheless. It continues, the bipartisan election board made the assertion that it does have the power to block Cawthorn from the midterm House ballot in a court filing in the case Cawthorn brought against the board, hoping to shut down the constitutional challenge to his candidacy. CNN reports liberal activists <laughs> filed the challenge to his candidacy last month. Their argument revolves around the little-used disqualification clause of the U.S. Constitution, ratified after the Civil War to prevent Confederate officials and those who supported insurrection from returning to office. Cawthorn, who has denied any wrongdoing regarding January 6th, filed the federal lawsuit to shut down the challenge. The elections board, in its court filing, said his lawsuit is premature and should be dismissed. The board also said, yes, it does have the power to disqualify candidates based on constitutional considerations, not just based on state laws. Quote, states have long enforced age and residency requirements without question and with very few, if any, legal challenges, the board wrote. Now, Bonifaz cited uh, something similar when we spoke last week. He noted Cawthorn's argument that the board has no right to judge who was or wasn't qualified for the ballot, that that was absurd. Otherwise, a 10-year-old could file to run for Congress and could not be disqualified. The, uh, the board continues in its filing, uh, quote, the state has the same authority to police which candidates should or should not be disqualified per Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Well, they are right, at least I believe and Bonifaz believes, and that could be very bad news for Cawthorn, as well as other members of Congress who also participated in some way in the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Bonifaz suggests they may also be challenging uh, some of these others, folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, Lauren Boebert of Colorado, Paul Gosar of Arizona, Mo Green of Alabama, and yes, even Donald J. Trump if he decides to run for office. So what North Carolina ends up doing here on the Cawthorn case could be very important for a bunch of these members of Congress, but key to Trump's future candidacy and his ability to even be on the ballot at all in the key swing state of North Carolina. So that's why it's a fascinating, fascinating and important challenge, uh, which constitutional experts say, conservative constitutional experts say, is not a crazy one at all. 
And by the way, I had someone write me after that show with Bonifaz, uh, wrote in to bradcast at bradblog.com. So they found it a very interesting conversation. They were worried because they assumed that this the decision here would be made by a Republican-leaning board of elections, state board of elections in North Carolina. But here's the thing. I didn't mention this during the conversation with Bonifaz, but the state board of election in North Carolina is not Republican-leaning, at least not on paper. It's a five-member board with a three-person majority that matches the partisan affiliation of the state's governor, who happens to be a Democrat right now in North Carolina. That's Roy Cooper. The state legislature is very Republican, but that's because they gerrymandered the hell out of it. Uh, But the governor is not. Now, you may recall that after Cooper, the Democrat, was elected in 2016, he defeated the Republican incumbent, Pat McCrory. At that time, the state legislature tried to take away all kinds of powers from the governor, including trying to make the state board of elections suddenly a bipartisan board. Now that the governor would be a Democrat, of course, and therefore the majority uh, would be Democratic. So there was a long legal fight over it for years. But the upshot now is the Democrats won that fight and the state board of elections in North Carolina has a Democratic majority for whatever that turns out to be worth. So uh, CNN finishes here by noting Cawthorn's case is still pending in federal court. The state level challenge to Cawthorn's candidacy was paused while North Carolina draws new congressional maps and the liberal activists who have (laughs) mounted the effort to disqualify his candidacy say that he stoked violence and aided the insurrectionist, citing days before the attack on the Capitol when he said it was, quote, time to fight. And on January 6th, when he spoke at the rally at the Ellipse in front of the White House, railing against the, quote, cowards in Congress, who plan to certify Joe Biden's uh, election victory. So there's a little fun update for you. And here's one more. Uh, Remember the uh, Trumpy Mesa County, Colorado County clerk, Tina Peters? Oh, I definitely do. Remember her? Oh, yeah. She Okay, so she's the one who snuck into the room where voting equipment is kept in her county, in Mesa County, in the middle of the night. With an unauthorized person, she turned off the someone turned off the security cameras in the room while they made copies of the Dominion voting system software. It's critical election management system software. And then somehow, while Tina Peters just happened to be speaking on stage with the pillow guy, Mike Lindell, at one of his stupid stop the steal you know, absolute evidence of absolute proof of fraud forums where no evidence absolute or otherwise was actually presented. Somehow at that very moment, that election management software from Mesa County, Colorado, was leaked onto the Internet for the whole world to download. Remember that this happened just days before the same software was going to be used in several counties out here in California for the GOP's unsuccessful attempted recall of Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom at the time. It was a big deal. It was a serious security issue. Well, After all of that, the Secretary of State of Colorado barred Tina Peters from her duties as county clerk in Mesa County. Peters has been challenging that in court. And now we have this. Tina Peters, the clerk of Mesa County, Colorado, who's long been suspected of involvement in a leak of county election machine data last year, was arrested on Tuesday morning. 
Local outlets report the, reported the arrest soon after. A uh, video from a journalist with a local NBC affiliate appeared to show the arrest occurring, and I gotta say it was kind of hilarious uh, in what might be the most Karen moment ever <laughs> during the arrest of a blonde Republican white woman that I have ever seen, where at one point she even attempts to kick one of the law enforcement officers who are very calmly handcuffing her and taking her out of the lobby of some building or another with other people around who are also ignoring her. Please, here's some of that video. Let go of me! No! Let go of me! Let go of me! Oh, no. Let go of me! It hurts! Let go of me! Give me my teeth! Sure. Yeah. Give me my key to my car. Yeah, give her keys. Give me my key to my car. Give it to me. Give me my key. Yes. So you you get the idea. She was she was apparently not given the keys to her car. Yeah, she kept ordering the police to stop arresting her. Stop arresting me. Give me my keys. So uh as noted, uh, the Colorado Secretary of State uh, uh, successfully sued to have Peters and a deputy, Belinda Knisley, removed from their election duties uh, after that sensitive digital information was taken from Mesa County and shared online during Mike Lindell's cyber symposium in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, back in August. But Peter's arrest today, uh, not today, on Tuesday, was apparently unrelated <laughs> to the ongoing investigation into that particular leak. Colorado Politics uh, cites law enforcement sources saying that the arrest Tuesday morning occurred after Peter's resisted authorities' attempts to seize an iPad pursuant to a search warrant. The Grand Junction Daily Sentinel reports referring to Peters, that an arrest warrant was, quote, to be issued, charging her with obstruction of justice. Colorado Public Radio reports that the iPad in question may have been used by Peters to film part of a court hearing on Monday involving her deputy, uh, Knisley, who has been on paid leave and is facing criminal charges due to her returning to work at the clerk's office despite an order requiring her to stay away from the office. These are election officials. According to the affidavit from one of the investigators, as the, the hearing developed, a deputy, this is the court hearing on Monday, a deputy district attorney noticed a female known to them to be Mesa County clerk and recorder Tina Peters using an Apple iPad to apparently record the proceeding after the Mesa County D.A. informed the judge of the situation, the judge warned the crowd in the courtroom that he would take, quote, appropriate legal action if he learned of any recording which is barred. The deputy D.A. reported that when the court addressed the audience about the recordings being prohibited, Clerk Peters rotated the iPad, affording him a view of the screen. And the iPad screen had the iPad camera application running with a live view of the judge's courtroom. Oh, boy. And that's what Peters was arrested about on Tuesday, apparently, because, as you know, the laws do not re refer to her. 
they she's don't exempt. apply. She's exempt. She's blonde. She's Republican. She's, she's white. white. Uh, and you know, God, you know, God forbid, she should be arrested for violating the laws and having her car keys taken away and her purse. What? In the meantime, Peters and her assistant Knisley. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, they've all denied wrongdoing uh, about the software leak and, of course, everything else. But the uh, FBI did raid Peter's uh, home and others last November. Last month, however, uh, Peter's announced a re-election bid. Uh, as the even as the Colorado Attorney General announced that a Mesa County grand jury was investigating her for all of this. Of course she's running for re-election. Why wouldn't she? So some fun updates on some previous stories we've covered from uh, the crazy elected MAGA officials to the crazy and frankly dangerous MAGA supporters who are now posing a very serious threat to the good folks at the National Butterfly Center, of all places, down in South Texas. That amazing story is next as we are joined once again from South Texas today uh, by the executive director of that now shuttered wildlife center. We will explain all momentarily. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Not Crazy At All broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Close to the borderline, indeed. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. In December of 2017, Donald Trump's first horrible year in office, the National Butterfly Center in deep South Texas, yes, close to the borderline with Mexico, right on it, in fact, down in the southernmost part of the Rio Grande Valley, filed a lawsuit against the federal government as government officials began moving into the 100-acre refuge, wildlife center, and native species botanical garden that is sponsored by the North American Butterfly Association, a nonprofit, nonpartisan group dedicated to the conservation and study of wild butterflies. The disruptive action of the Department of Homeland Security was in advance of the Trump administration's plans to build new border fencing along the U.S. side of the Rio Grande River and even before Congress would approve 33 miles of new wall there, consisting of 36-foot concrete and steel barriers the following year in 2018, DHS was already moving in and doing work in 2017 at the National Butterfly Center. That, as Republicans were claiming a humanitarian and violent criminal, quote, crisis on the border, even as residents of the Rio, Rio Grande Valley in Mission, Texas and elsewhere nearby described the so-called crisis 
as nonsense. In early 2019, then, as heavy machinery was rolling into the Butterfly Sanctuary and the neighboring 91,000-acre Lower Rio Grande Valley National Wildlife Refuge, the Butterfly Center alleged that DHS was actually cutting locks on the fencing on, uh, on their property. We were joined at the time on this program by Mariana Trevino-Wright to explain the federal government's intrusions, telling me at the time, quote, conflict or property damage or terrorist acts by those who support this agenda are actually what we're more concerned about. That as compared to, you know, people crossing the Rio Grande to gain entry in the U.S. Just a week or so after we spoke back in 2019, on this show, a supposed carve-out was granted by Congress from the wall construction to pr protect a number of sensitive wildlife and tourism-related areas along the Rio Grande in South Texas, including the threatened National Butterfly Center and the 150-year-old Lalomita Mission Chapel nearby. That was part of a deal to reopen the federal government at the time because Donald Trump had shut it down in hopes of forcing Congress to allocate billions of dollars to his border wall project, which apparently was never actually paid for by Mexico after all, as he had repeatedly promised. But with this new deal in place, Trevino Wright characterized it to me via email as a temporary legislative agreement that would last only six months. We have not been spared, she wrote me at the time. We were given a temporary stay of execution. Well, a full three years later now, with Trump well out of office, Trevino writes concerns from 2019 about, quote, terrorist acts by those who support Trump's agenda have come home to roost at the National Butterfly Center. As the local Rio Grande Valley news outlet MyRGV News reported last week, quote, amid recent negative attention from right-wing conspiracy theorists, the National Butterfly Center announced it will be closed to the public for the immediate future. The board of directors of the North America Butterfly Association made the decision to close the center to both members and visitors on Tuesday last week following visits from right-wing activists targeting the center and an alleged, an alleged assault by a Virginia congressional candidate. The safety of our staff and visitors is our primary concern, said Dr. Jeffrey Glassberg, president and founder of the North American Butterfly Association, in a news release last week. We look forward to reopening soon when the authorities and professionals who are helping us navigate this situation give us the green light. The board will continue to pay the staff during the closure. Trevino Wright, the center's executive director, said, quote, we sincerely apologize for the inconvenience this may cause to members and visitors, many of whom plan trips months in advance to experience this truly exceptional place. Well, with that sad announcement of the closure and the story of that congressional candidate from Virginia, a woman named Kimberly Lowe, who is alleged alleged to have instigated a physical altercation at the center with Trevino Wright in January before speeding off the property with an accomplice. The news uh, has gained some national attention yet again down at the National Butterfly Center. Glassberg told TPM's Matt Shuham last week, there's just been an awful lot of right-wing hate being spewed by individuals and groups making videos and posting it online, creating a dangerous situation, he said. 
The center had actually closed temporarily over the prior weekend in light of a We Stand America event in Mission, Texas, which featured prominent right-wingers, including Michael Flynn, the disgraced Trump-pardoned recipient and former National Security, Security Advisor, who in recent years has aligned himself with the QAnon conspiracy movement. That, after fringe right-wing influencers have for years spread conspiracy theories alleging that the Butterfly Center is a waypoint for human traffickers in response to the center's pursuit of legal battles to prevent the building of segments of Trump's border wall on and near its property. Over that weekend, multiple right-wingers, including the congressional candidate Linz Piper Loomis and the Real America's Voice correspondent Ben Burkwam filmed videos right on the edge of the Butterfly Center's property, making light of the center's concerns while posing with a child's shoe to imply that the center was a stop for human traffickers. That's the kind of stuff that happened before other horrible events that we all know about, Glassberg said. You learn from the last couple of years that these things are very serious. People die, he said. Joining us again today, a full three years after she joined us previously while bravely standing up to the Trump administration, is the executive director of the hopefully only temporarily shuttered National Butterfly Center in Mission, Texas, Mariana Trevino-Wright. Mariana, welcome back to the broadcast, though I am sorry that it is once again for such a disturbing reason under uh, such difficult circumstances. Thanks for having me, Brad, and for sharing our story. I uh, I believe you spoke with the FBI this week, and I want to ask you about that uh, in a second, but big picture for the moment. I don't know what, uh, what other way to put this, but what the hell is going on down there, and why has the National Butterfly Center, of all places, become such a magnet, such a target for Trump's MAGA mob and their QAnon conspiracists? Well, first I want to say they're not conspiracies. They are outright lies. And the media needs to stop referring to conspiracies. First of all, their crowd may not comprehend that word. Mm -hmm. As Steve Bannon identified years ago, they need to keep their messaging on fourth grade language. Mm. So we need to call these things what they are. They are lies. Mm -hmm. There are several reasons we're a target. One, we did sue the Department of Homeland Security when they jumped the gun. They came here and effectively seized our land nine months before any congressional vote authorizing or appropriating funds for border wall. Mm -hmm. There had been no right of entry requests made or granted contractors. The waiver of law, which the government does for border wall construction, mm -hmm. had not occurred. They hadn't so much as written a letter notifying us of their intent to sue to seize the land. Mm -hmm. So the fact that, you know, they have this project purportedly all about law and order, and they were here breaking all the laws, <laughs> yep. didn't look real good for them. You know, it wasn't a good look. Mm -hmm. So what they did in response to that was unleash Steve Bannon's we build the wall, dark money psyop on us. Mm -hmm. They arrived in the fall of 2019 and began tweeting 
these malicious, outrageous lies about us being a cartel front and engaged in human trafficking, uh, that we were, you know, selling women and children into sex slavery, that Mm. there were dead bodies and terrorists on the property. And they tell these lies because they were. Um, Mm. You probably remember Comet Pizza in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, Pizzagate. Pizzagate. Yeah. So... You know, the goal is, and, and it worked here, the militia arrived and a whole bunch of of angry people unleashed a torrent of of hate, of threats, and, you know, they did it by, by, by mail, by phone, by email, by you name it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came here to tell us to our face what despicable human beings we were and how mm. we should be hanged and burned and all of that. Then, you know, Steve Bannon and Brian Colfage and two other business associates involved in this fraud were indicted and arrested mm-hmm. for their for their crimes. For actually stealing money from the people <laughs> that they were asking to donate for this private We Build the Wall project, which all of them are still facing fraud charges, I guess, except for Steve Bannon, who was uh, pardoned in the uh, closing hours of the uh, Trump administration. That's exactly right. And two of the people who were on the We Build the Wall payroll, Dustin Lawrence and, uh, excuse me, Dustin Stockton and Jennifer Lawrence, Mm -hmm. were also fundamental to the Stop the Steal movement. And they have actually already testified before the January 6th committee. And I think you may have mentioned that Christy Hutcherson, who was here mm-hmm. with We Stand America, filming uh, another outrageous video full of lies with the Butterfly Center as the backdrop, mm-hmm. she actually took the stage at the Stop the Steal rally and spoke at that event that resulted in a body count. And, you know, I I mentioned uh, Dr. Glassberg, who's the uh, president of the North American Butterfly Association, his comment where he said, you learned from the last couple of years that these things are very serious. People die. Do you want to uh, fill in the blanks of, of what he seems to be referring to there? Well, for one, We Build the Wall hosted a three-day campaign rally fundraising event, very much like the We Stand America event here in January, Mm -hmm. they did that in the summer of 2019. They hosted their Wall-a-thon, and with some of the content creators and propagandists, like you mentioned Ben Berkwam, Mm -hmm. and that result, that event with all of their inflammatory anti-immigrant rhetoric on the borderlands, It resulted in a young man driving from Plano, Texas, to Walmart in El Paso, where he massacred 23 people. So these are uh, not just, as you say, conspiracies. These are lies, and these lies can have very serious consequences. Have you, have you, I assume you have received direct threats uh, from from some of these people. Is, Is that what you were speaking about with the FBI this week? When we spoke with the FBI last night, it was about the indirect threats, Um, and specifically some coming from 
a neo-Nazi they have already had in custody. He's gone to federal prison three times, Mm. most recently for his role in inciting the Tree of Life synagogue massacre. Mm -hmm. Well, he's been released from prison and from probation now in Pennsylvania, and he's moved to Texas. And he has been posting online messages uh, using my photo and my workplace mm. and uh, urging his the members of his church in his holy war to find out where I live and everything uh, that they can about my children. But, you know, the FBI says that's not a threat. That's free speech. <laughs> I, and I assume is is that in and of itself what has led to the uh, indefinite uh, shutdown for now of the Butterfly Center, uh, that specific incident, or is it a number of incidents that have just been uh, gaining in uh, uh, in recent days? Well, that specific incident was reported to the police and the FBI in February. Excuse me, we're in February now. Right. It was reported to them in November. Mm. And they did nothing about it. Is, is, did they respond when you met with the FBI? Did you say, hey, we talked to you guys, we let, let you know about this in November, and nobody's responded? Did they have any response to that? None at all. Uh, it's it's maddening. Is there a way, I was going to say, is there a way to increase the security at the facility, uh, either with private guards or with assistance from the FBI, but it sounds like the FBI is not being particularly helpful down there. I would say that's putting it correctly, at the very least. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we we have received threats, direct threats, but again, they're worded in a way that law enforcement has the authority to interpret them. Mm-hmm. So only law enforcement decides whether it's threatening or not. The NABA board of directors had to look at the big picture, who the provocateurs are, the past results of their campaigns, just like this one how focused and intense those are, and a former state official who was a state representative and is now running for an appellate court position is one of the people who told us that we needed to consider closing, that I personally was a target, that the center was a target, Ahead of the We Stand America rally, he advised me to be armed at all times or better yet, out of town. And his daughter is actually the chair of the Hidalgo County uh, GOP. Wow. Wow. I, Mariana, I'm, I gotta tell, I'm, I'm just, I'm really, really sorry that this is happening to you folks down there. I know that, you know, it's like I said, deep, far South Texas. It, it, I imagine can get quite scary. I know that you and your employees and, and volunteers there certainly did not ask for this, certainly should not be, uh, being put through all of this. And by the way, I'm great. I'm very grateful to the North American Butterfly Association, to NABA for continuing to pay y'all even during this closure. Have, is there any sense of when you will be able to open back up? And if not, do you have, 
I mean, any sense of when this will end and, and uh, the center can be safely open to the public? And, and by the way, is there anything that the non-crazy public, like our listeners, <laughs> hopefully, uh, can, can do to help right now? Well, that was a whole lot. Let me try to okay. answer everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the first thing is I know that the uh, board of directors is actively seeking to engage licensed um, security professionals to do the assessments necessary and make the recommendations for training, for uh, you know physical assets that we need on the property, and maybe even for additional personnel so that we can reopen safely. Armed guards at a nature center is not at all the kind of look we're going for. <laughs> we, we already have, thanks to Governor Abbott, Operation Lone Star with young men and women with their semi-automatic rifles standing on the levee halfway through our property. Are, are you allowed, by the way, are, are you allowed, by the way, to in Texas now under Abbott, are you allowed to p- post a sign that says uh, no firearms allowed in the uh, in the Butterfly Center? We are there. There is guidance for doing that on private property, but um, we don't know that there would be any enforcement of violations right. of that because Governor Abbott has made it such that. People in Texas don't have to have a license to carry concealed or openly mm-hmm. or uh, a firearm or a long arm, oh. even swords. You know, I mean, it's just the wild, wild west yes. down here. Apparently so. So not, yeah. not from not from the things that that Fox News and others are saying. I mean, right. I want to make that clear. We have. Sleep over under the stars here with Girl Scouts. Little girls camp out and spend the night at the Butterfly Center. They go on night hikes where they learn about owls, and and we use black lights to see scorpions and other creatures that glow in the dark. These are the, this is how safe it is at the National Butterfly Center. Or used to be. <laughs> Well, you know, but now the threat is not coming from outside. As you know, the, the there was some horror movie at one time where they're like, the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah. That's where we are in the United States now. The terrorism is homegrown, and it's our own neighbors and relatives. I mentioned, uh, I asked in my uh, list of questions there, is there anything that that we can do, that our listeners can do? Is there anything we can do to help out right now? Because this is insane. It is maddening. And yet I'm not sure how to, uh, you know, how to proceed. I think a lot of us are listening. We want to help. What can, is there anything we can do? Well, just before this program, I was on the phone with Dr. Glassberg. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were discussing a timeline for reopening. And it looks like it may be, you know, as long as another six weeks or so. Mm. So six weeks with no income, um, that's going to be really challenging. So definitely people can donate if they wish to. They can also join the National Butterfly Center. Mm -hmm. Our membership comes with benefits for people across the United States. We are part of the American Horticultural Society and their reciprocal admission program. Mm -hmm. 
So if you join the National Butterfly Center, your membership here has free or reduced admission to another almost 400 botanical gardens, nature centers, zoos, and arboretums across the United States. Nice. And and people so, can... Yeah, go ahead. So people can join and, and enjoy supporting us where they live and where they travel. And people can sign up, become members of the uh, National Butterfly Center by visiting nationalbutterflycenter.org. Mariana, very quickly, I got a, a couple of other related points I want to ask you about here, uh, a follow-up uh, after we spoke uh, three years ago, you told me about uh, you know when federal officials were breaking into your property, breaking locks, rolling heavy equipment through the through the sanctuary. There was a uh, temporary carve out from Congress for construction of the border wall around the Butterfly Center and other nearby uh, uh, tourist attractions that was created by Congress. You told me it was only going to be in effect for six months. You saw it as a temporary stay of execution. Did that carve out end? Uh, the government's intrusion on your property at this time, or has it now continued beyond those six months? The intrusion definitely continued. The egregious acts of U.S. Border Patrol and their partners and contractors has continued. And uh, I hope you're sitting down for this, but border wall construction continues mm -hmm. and the biden administration just about two weeks ago announced 86 new miles of border wall construction in the rio grande valley but i see on your website they are calling it levy repair mariana if they're not building a wall near you it's just levy repair uh, they're calling it levy repair uh -huh. and guardrail uh-huh um, but it is attached to and an extension of the Trump wall, and it is made of exactly the same materials <laughs> in the same design. But yes, it's now called levee repair and guardrail. And for that reason, we're still at risk because if the Biden administration and the International Boundary and Water Commission with the Department of Homeland Security choose to do levy repair and guardrail on the levy through our property. Guess what we've got? Uh, another wall and a lot of big construction going on in the middle of a butterfly uh, center. Is the yeah. what is the status there for? of your uh, of your lawsuit that was filed way back in December 2017 is that still moving forward has that become moot where where are we with that so you know it sat for 14 months in district court in DC and was summarily dismissed the same day the carve out was signed and the same day Trump signed his emergency state of emergency declaration we filed an appeal yeah. and we won. Oh, good. We won. Oh, good. And so, and so we're sent back to Judge Richard Leon's court uh -huh. in the D.C. District. Uh -huh. And now the uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland under President Biden, his Justice Department has filed another motion to dismiss. Of course. But the fight continues. I kind of want to end the show right there with that good news that you won the appeal. <laughs> but you're, you're, the fight is still underway. I, you know what? And I wish, 
Uh, finally, uh, Mariana, I, uh, frankly, I wish this is what we were talking about the entire time. Can I ask you a question about butterflies? Please do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, in, rec- <laughs> in recent years, you know, we, uh, we've been reporting on the, the threatened monarch butterfly population, which migrates down to Mexico and back up here. I guess they don't, well, I don't know how the wall affects them, but they have been disappearing in recent years due to habitat loss and pesticide use and global warming. But there have been reports of late, late last year and into this one, that the uh, species appears to be rebounding a bit now. Can you confirm that, Mariana Trevino, right? And if so, what should we attribute that? to? Well, I will say I've been a little distracted for the last two weeks. Uh-huh. And I know that numbers, the counts mm-hmm. from the overwintering sites in Michoacan should be released about this time each year. Mm-hmm. So if those are coming out and they're higher, that is great. Insects can be incredibly resilient. So our monarch numbers are are you know, the monarchs that, that make the transcontinental migration, mm-hmm. as well as the population that is sort of independent in California, they can rebound given enough milkweed and the right weather conditions. Um, obviously, things like wildfires mm-hmm. and, and climate change and pesticide use, shrinking habitat have a negative impact. But people have been responding to the call to plant native milkweed and to preserve habitat and and to make their own little, create their own little lifelines for monarchs, whether that's a container garden or a rooftop garden in an urban center Mm -hmm. or uh, even the edges and midlines of farms and things. So I do hope to hear this year that the monarchs have had a good year and that the species numbers are increasing. That would be truly wonderful news. And how about the butterflies at the National Butterfly Center? Have you had time to, are they doing okay? Well, last year uh, we had a winter storm named Yuri mm-hmm. that um, actually that's the night that the lights went out in Texas. Yep. So the butterflies had a bit of a hard time rebounding from that this past year. But we're well on our way for 2022. We started January 1st with record-breaking butterflies. We had 87 species counted that day Wow! in a variety of volumes. So 2022, butterfly-wise is looking like a banner year. Well, see, there you go. We still get to end on a positive (laughs) note here uh, amid all of this madness. Uh, You, uh, Mariana Trevino-Wright, you are a great and brave representative for the Butterfly Center, for the National American Butterfly Association, frankly, for all Americans standing up to so much of this continuing madness in recent years. We wish you and, and your family and your employees down there, of course, nothing but the best. 
Uh, thank you for joining us again today. And uh, thank you, frankly, for all that you are doing down there, Mariana. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you, Brad. Thank you very much. You can find more information and become a member of the uh, center by going to nationalbutterflycenter.org or on the Twitters at Nat Butterflies. Mariana Trevino-Wright is the executive director of the National Butterfly Center in Mission, Texas, in the Rio Grande Valley on the border with Mexico. And, of course, the National Butterfly Center is a project of the North American Butterfly Association, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to the conservation and study of wild butterflies. Thanks, Mariana. Thank you, Brad. Okay. She is delightful. She and I'm is sorry delightful. that they have to deal with this right now. It is. I Yeah, me too. It, it is just it's madness. It is. It's, it's madness. But I'm glad that we were able to end on some positive news and uh, some idea that we can maybe mend nature, the fabric of nature, a bit when we try. So there's that. Nah, nah, we're screwed. <laughs> All right, quick break. And we are back with, oh, some more maybe good news? I don't know. We'll see. It's another update on another story we've been uh, covering. That straight ahead on the closing few minutes of the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. That's one of the worst songs of all time. I did not even have the heart to play it when Mariana was here. Yeah, it's a bad song. It is so bad. Uh, Speaking also, by the way, boy, I really hope that Mariana, uh, thanks again to her uh, for uh, joining us. I I really hope she's not watching Peacemaker on HBO Max. Oh, yes, that's true. I'm not going to mention why here, but anyone who's watching that program will probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's really fun. It's really fun program. Uh, it's incredibly violent. So, But very funny. But it's very funny and it sort of has to do with butterflies in a certain way. In a way. Uh, right. But I, I don't think Mariana would appreciate it. <laughs> Probably not. I'm just saying. Anyway. Uh, okay, one more uh, good news story, I think. Well, I don't know if it's good news or not. You'll decide. Breaking this afternoon from Washington Post, the National Archives and Records Administration has asked the U.S. Justice Department to examine Donald Trump's handling of White House records, sparking discussion among federal law enforcement officials about whether they should investigate the former president for a possible crime. That according to two people familiar with the matter. The referral from the National Archives came amid recent revelations that officials recovered 15 boxes of materials from the former president's Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida that were not handed back into the government as they should have been. In other words, they were stolen in violation of the Nixon-era Presidential Records Act. And uh, they were boxes that uh, and and Trump did turn them over uh, when he was called on it by the National Archives. He turned over those boxes 
and as well, he had uh, they they're asking them to investigate his habit of tearing up White House records. Also a potential violation of the act. Archive officials suspected Trump had possibly violated laws concerning the handling of government documents, including those that might be considered classified and reached out to the Justice Department According to the people familiar with the matter, the two said the discussions about the matter remained preliminary at this point. It was not clear yet whether the Justice Department would investigate. Well, why would they? A uh, department spokesman declined to comment. So um, the uh, longtime chief counsel for Citizens for Ethics and Responsibility in Washington, Ann Wiesman, said that Trump clearly violated the Records Act in multiple ways. And if they don't investigate, she said, given how flagrant these violations appear to be, it would be basically saying there's no accountability under the statute at all. Imagine, she said, if Trump was reelected and what that would mean, there, there was no consequences for all of these violations. He could have an entire White House that just thumbed their nose at the Presidential Records Act. She said, I understand the climate we live in. Everything's viewed through a political lens, but I don't think that should stop the Justice Department at all. Have they checked the silver at the White House? Yeah, no kidding. What else is missing? What, what you know, what do we not know about that was taken? Apparently there were also gifts. Mementos. That, w- that he took that may not have been given back. A model of Air Force One. Um, there, but there could also be significant amounts of classified material among those uh, that were retrieved from Mar-a-Lago, maybe from those that were not retrieved from Mar-a-Lago. It was not immediately clear whether classified documents were among those uh, materials. And this, you'll recall, after Trump's <laughs> 2016 campaign in which he accused Hillary Clinton of mishandling classified information in connection with her use of a private email server while Secretary of State. Well, ain't that funny? Yeah. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Of course, to my guest, Mariana, Mariana Trevino Wright of the National Butterfly Center, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who allow us to stay on your public airwaves and allow our downloads to be free by supporting us at bradblog.com donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Till we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 